continuing our way through Galatians this morning. Um, this morning we're actually get, we're going to be uh, in chapter five. Um, if you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there uh, in your seats, um, this is on page nine hundred and seventy-four. So remember, uh, Galatians is a letter, a letter that was written by a man named Paul. Paul wasn't just any man who just decided to, to, to write uh, to some churches and, and tell them uh, what to do. Uh, Paul uh, was uh, appointed by the risen Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus appeared to Paul. And, uh, and authorized him to be his spokesperson, to speak on his behalf. So as Paul was coming to these churches and Paul was uh, speaking and communicating to them, he was uh, passing on um, Christ's teaching, his message, his truth to them. And so when we read this letter that Paul wrote, we understand it to be the word of God to us, uh, written by Paul, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, and under the, the authorization of Jesus, what we're reading here is, uh, is God's word to us. Uh, and so um, uh, what Paul was doing was he has been planting churches in this region of the world called Galatia, which is in present day uh, southern Turkey. Uh, and he had started these churches based on the truth of the gospel the gospel is just good news, and an announcement of, of a king's victory, his rule, his reign. Who is this king? Well, we affirm that this morning already. This king was Jesus, who came and suffered and died on behalf of his people, and he rose again from the dead. How, and, uh, and Jesus came to suffer the penalty for sin that, that we rightly deserved. Um, and so by what Paul is communicating and saying is that it's by, uh, by faith alone, through the grace of God alone, trusting in Christ alone, uh, that we can be declared right before God, uh, declared uh, forgiven, um, or in the, the terminology of the Bible, justified or declared righteous. But there were some false teachers who had creeped into the area, and they were saying, look, it's not, Christ is important, grace is important, faith is important, but it's not... Uh, Grace alone and Christ, or faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. It's not those things. You also need to add your works, keeping these works of the law, because uh, you will only be declared righteous through you, also through your own merit and adding these things to uh, to your your performance. Um, and Paul is is coming and he's in a in a strong way saying this is not true. This is. Uh, uh, contradiction of the gospel, and he's trying to point the Galatians, and he's trying to point us to the truth of the gospel. Um, so the, this morning, as we continue our journey through this letter, uh, we're going to see as uh, Paul continues to use the gospel uh, to, um, uh, to shape and teach um, uh, and protect uh, the, the church of Galatia and us. We're going to see that this, this morning as, as Paul wants to point them to uh, gospel warnings. He wants to point them to uh, the gospel confidence, confidence that they can have from the gospel. And he wants to point them to gospel freedom, freedom that is found in the gospel. Uh, so if you would, uh, look with me in chapter 5 of the, this letter to the Galatians. Um, we're going to be looking at verses one 
through 15 this morning. Um, So let's hear from the Word of God. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. Uh, We thank You that You, um, Holy Spirit, apply the living and active Word to the hearts of Your people. And we need You. We long for You to do that this morning. Give us understanding uh, in the Scriptures. Give us understanding of the Gospel. uh, That we would look and hope in Christ alone. His name we pray. Amen. So these false teachers were saying that works of the law were necessary. Uh, Particularly, it seems that uh, these particular works that they were focusing on were uh, was uh, circumcision, uh, some of the the food and purity laws uh, that were going on in the uh, the the Old Testament and focused on a lot of the holiness code that we saw as we worked through the book of Leviticus. What Paul has been pointing to us and what we've seen is that through Christ's coming, He's fulfilled uh, the, the law. These bloody signs are no longer needed because Christ's blood was shed. Uh, these, these laws of, of separation to, she, to shepherd and guide and protect the people have been put away. Why? Because the, the Messiah has come. The, the, the true King has come. And now is the time for the Gentiles to be brought into the kingdom and for, for Jesus' kingdom to spread, not just in one uh, um, political ethnic group, but throughout all of humanity. Uh, and But these... False teachers are saying, no, you know what, Gentiles, you who aren't ethnically Jewish, you gotta, you got to keep these laws. You must be circumcised in order to be a part of the, the people of God, to be full members, to be full heirs, to be fully adopted. Uh, and Paul is coming and saying, no, uh, this is not true. 
It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that you are saved and redeemed. This is the gospel. And so Christ, or Paul is starting off here uh, in this section of the letter by giving gospel warnings, by using the gospel to proclaim and say what is true, to warn the, the, the people in the, these churches in Galatia, and to warn us to not turn to anything else other than Jesus Notice how he, he says this here over and over. He, he repeats it for, for emphasis. Look in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, because remember what the Jude, these Judaizers are saying, it's Jesus, yes, but you need to do this work or you will not be accepted by God. You will not be forgiven. You will not be saved. You will not be adopted. Paul says, if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. In case we didn't understand it, Paul states it again in a different way. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. He goes on again. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. What Paul is saying is it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. If you add anything to Jesus, it is no longer Christ alone. If you try to bring in your works, it's no longer about grace alone. If you try to add anything to faith and trusting in Christ and adding your performance to it, then it's not faith alone. The gospel has been distorted. If you turn to these other things, he says, Christ will be of no advantage. That's disastrous. That is a scary thing to think about. That Jesus would be of no advantage to you if you add anything to him. Think about what that means. What advantage is Christ to his people? Think about what Paul has been pointing us to, that we deserved the curse of the law. Because just by breaking one commandment, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And so we would bear the, the, the penalty of that curse, of that law breaking. But Paul has said what Jesus has done is he stepped into our place. He's lived the perfect life that we never could. And by hoping and trusting in him, his merit, his righteousness, his good record has been applied to us. He has suffered the, the death we deserved. He's lived the life we couldn't. And now we stand before God as the righteousness of Jesus, delighted and loved by our Father. Paul says, you want to turn away from Jesus? Then He will be of, it, of no advantage to you. He will have secured nothing for you. You must put everything that is an advantage in Christ away because what happens? You're now trusting in yourself. Notice how he points that out. If you accept circumcision, you are obligated to keep the whole law. Christ's record is put away. It does not count for you in the least. It is now your record. The way you will be standing before God is uh, under your ability, your ability to perform, your ability to stand and keep all of the law. You'll be obligated to keep the whole thing. And what will occur from that? Well, we've seen throughout this. 
that we cannot keep the law of God. The, one of the reasons God gave it to us was to show us the depth of our sin, our inability to live righteously before our God, our great need for Him that we would call out to Him. And, God, and Paul is saying, if you accept anything, you try to add anything to, to the gospel, then you will be standing in, uh, it'll be your own record that you are depending on. And he, he goes on to say that those who are seeking to be justified, remember that um, uh, the way that we understood that, uh, one way to understand it is just if I'd, uh, that as we look to Christ in faith, what God declares of us as we're found in Jesus is it's just as if I'd never sinned. Not just that you have been forgiven, but that you have been declared to be, have totally fulfilled the righteous requirements of the, of the law. Paul is saying if you're seeking to, to, to have that declaration made of you, that you are, uh, you are, are righteous and accepted before God, um, uh, then you are cut off from Jesus. You are severed from Christ. He's not talking about loss of salvation. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he's saying if the gospel is about Christ alone and you're adding anything to it, that, that doesn't work. And so Christ is being put away. To, to rely on your own merits, as he, as he says, that removes grace from the, the whole sphere of what we're talking about in salvation. If you're depending and resting on your own works to try to be made right before God, You've moved outside of what is considered and could even be thought of as grace. You've fallen away from it. You've, you've moved way off from it. And you will not be accepted before God because of that. Um, this may be a helpful way for us to, to look at it. This three-legged stool. Well, it's a table. Three-legged table of, uh, of the gospel. Notice what the three legs say. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. These are three legs that go together that are the gospel. You can't take one away. They all go together. This is the whole gospel. And notice what Paul tells us of the advantage of Jesus that through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, this stone is going to be the righteous requirements of the law. And this little egg here is us. Notice the result. The gospel rooted in these three truths. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone upholds and supports the righteous requirements of the law. We are protected and safe. Christ is an advantage to us. He secures salvation for us. And the, the burden, the curse of the law is, is kept from us. But what happens? What happens if we want to change those things at the bottom? If we want to add something to Christ, if we want to add something to grace, if we want to add something to faith, well, they're no longer Christ alone. Grace alone faith alone. We have to substitute them for something else. Well, what is that? It is our works, our own performance, our own righteousness. These little spaghetti 
sticks are our feeble attempts at trying to be righteous before uh, God. Hopefully it's going to, you can even already see, it's having a hard time standing up. If you replace Christ, faith, or grace with your own attempts at keeping and trying to be made righteous, you are now, Christ is of no advantage to you. You are dependent solely and totally on your own performance, on your ability to keep all of the law. And what will be the result of the weight of God's requirement? What is going to happen? Is it going to stand up? Every single time. When you replace or add anything to Christ, to grace, to faith, you no longer have the gospel, Paul says. These are gospel warnings. Paul is telling us the truth. And he's telling us if we turn to anything else, this is the result. So what should be our, our response to that? What should be the response to these warnings? Well, it shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, you know what? That doesn't really apply to me. You know, I've been a believer for, uh, for all my life. I don't, I don't need to listen to these warnings that God is trying to communicate to, to me as his people. I mean, the things that I'm doing in my life and the things that I'm flirting with and the things that I'm tempted to, uh, that really applies to, to other folks. No, that's not the purpose of, of warnings. Think about if, uh, uh, if Greta, our three-year-old, is out on the sidewalk and traffic is busy, and a ball is rolling down the sidewalk, and we see her running towards the road, and I yell out, Run, stop! You're going to get hit by the car! What is the purpose of my yelling that warning out to her? Is to get her to stop. To look at her surroundings. To look at her actions and what's doing, what she's doing, and to realize danger is around. That's what Paul is doing. In love, and God, in His mercy, is calling out to His people, so that we will stop. So that we will look at our actions. We'll look at our hearts. We'll look at what is tempting us and see and make sure. I don't want this to be true of me. And so what will I do? I'll turn to Jesus. I'll look to Him. I'll look in my heart and my life and where I am tempted to hold on to my own performance, to justify and look to my own goodness. I'll repent and call out to Him and say, Jesus, I only want it to be You. Help me see these things more and more so that I will hope and cling and rest in You alone. The good news of the Gospel, that it's uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is a warning to all of us that we would look to nothing, nothing other than Jesus. And we would flee and hope and trust and depend on Him. But it's not just gospel warnings. Paul here points to gospel confidence. Notice as he is uh, talking about 
the temptations and the false teaching that's that's facing and plaguing the people in uh, in Ephesus. I mean, in Galatians, uh, in the churches of Galatia, uh, he he says this that that they can have confidence of their righteousness. Look in verse five. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, it's important, this, this term hope, for us to understand what Paul's talking about here, to understand that a lot of times in, uh, in, uh, in English, when we talk about hope, hope is tied to really a, a lack of confidence kind of a wish um, of if I'm sick of saying, well, I hope I get better soon. Or if you're unemployed saying, well, I hope something turns up and I get a job at some point. Or if you're, uh, uh, or right now, I hope that our little baby will be born safe in April. Do I have confidence of that? No, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm hoping that it will be, but there's a there's a there's a, a lack of of confidence and surety there. Here, the in the the biblical terminology of thinking about hope, hope is is absolute confidence. It's actually the, in some ways the opposite of how we use the term hope. And so, looking at what Paul is saying here, is he's making these warnings to the, the, the people in Galatia who are tempted and thinking about pursuing this other gospel, Paul is saying, but you can have confidence in the gospel. Confidence that you will be declared and you are declared righteous, meaning right in God's sight. Look at what he says. That it's, but it's not through your works. It's not through your performance. It's not through your good efforts or your merit. Notice what he says. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope, for this confidence of righteousness. Uh, In in, in Scripture, a lot of times, uh, Paul is is talking about this anticipated uh, day in in, in the future when Christ will return and we're standing before God and He looks at us. And instead of seeing us and our merit, us and our works, what He does is He looks and He sees us who have who have put our faith in Jesus, and he sees his righteousness. And so he looks upon us and he declares, you are righteous. You are accepted. My justice has been satisfied in Jesus. Enter into my kingdom. Enter into my rest. Enter into and enjoy my, uh, my presence and our relationship forever. Paul is saying that those who are hoping in Christ through the work of the Spirit in our lives uh, the means by which we, we embrace through faith only can have confidence and assurance in the truth of the gospel that we will be declared righteous, unlike those who are hoping in their own works, who will have no confidence. But notice as well that Paul has gospel confidence of the perseverance and preservation of these members of this church in Galatia. Notice in verse 10. What he, what he says. Remember, he's, he's talking about this, uh, these false teachings that they're, uh, they're being distracted by. We'll start in verse 7. You are running well. 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Uh, some people can look at these, this, passages, this passage in, Gal- in Galatians and begin to think that what Paul is talking about is those who, uh, who have trusted and hoped in Christ. And what he is saying is it is possible for you to lose your salvation. Uh, that the advantage that Christ secured from you could be taken away. That the union that you have with Christ, you could be severed. And the grace that you have, been, you have experienced, it could be taken away from you. That you could fall away from it. But notice, that's not what Paul is talking about in this context at all. Because around these warnings, the purpose of the warnings is to, 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 to work um, uh, repentance and, and gospel confidence in his people. What he says about these people in the church of Galatia. He has confidence in the Lord that they will see things the same way that he does. That they will not turn and embrace in uh, a, a a good news message, or really it's a bad news message of salvation by works. The confidence he has is that those who he is talking to, he says in verse 11, what does he call them? Uh, But if I, brothers. And again, he goes on down in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. As as Paul is, is looking and talking to these believers in the church in Galatia that he's he's founded, that he started, that he shared the gospel with, and that he's seen them embrace and hope in Christ. He's saying in the midst of this, although I'm giving you these warnings, my confidence is, is through the work of the Spirit in you, that you will not fall away. That once you are saved and Christ has a hold of you, the work of the Spirit in your life you will respond in faithfulness. You will respond in turning away from uh, this works righteousness false gospel. Uh, what Paul is saying is uh, faithfulness, perseverance, preservation is what brothers do. It's what those who are free do. It's what those who believe and hope in Jesus do. The work, actually, of the warnings that Paul has given here is accomplishing the preservation. It's opening up the hearts and the minds of God's people that they will see the danger of hoping and trusting in a false gospel and that they will cling and hope and trust in Christ alone. Um, Paul has uh, this confidence uh, in the gospel. Why? Because it's Jesus who secures it. And Jesus' death is sufficient for his people. And God is the one who, as we look and hope and trust in him, will preserve and protect his people until Christ returns. And those of us who are hoping in Christ, we do not need to fear loss of our salvation, but we have confidence that as we are looking and hoping in Jesus alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, that we will receive that declaration of you are righteous because you are found in Jesus but notice the, the, the contrast of not just this gospel confidence of this declaration of righteousness and of this perseverance, but Paul also has a, a confidence of judgment. 
judgment against those who would declare another gospel. Notice in verse 7, as he's describing uh, these false teachers, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That, that word uh, hindered is uh, used in this, this running illustration. Think of somebody running in a race. And then all of a sudden, another competitor comes up out from behind you in nowhere and clips the back of your leg and trips you and knocks you down in the race. They've hindered you. They've broken the rules. They've done something that is wrong. Paul is saying this is an error. It's a violation of what God intended. And he uses other terminology to describe what they're doing. In verse 10, he says that what they are doing is troubling you. Uh, in verse 12, he says that he talks about those uh, who are unsettling uh, the people in Galatia. He's, they're bringing in these doubts of thinking, oh, you've been trusting in Jesus? That's not enough. Paul is saying uh, here in this passage that in verse 10, they will bear the penalty. Paul is so angry about this, he even goes through those who are declaring uh, and saying that they need to be circumcised in order to make. Uh, be made right with Christ. Uh, in his anger, in verse 12, he says, I wish really that they would go the whole way and completely emasculate themselves. Why would Paul go to use such strong and harsh language if he's not communicating God's um, perspective on what is happening? God is angry that those would come into his church and seek to unsettle, to disrupt, to hinder and break the rules of, of the race to hurt and harm his people. And what Paul is saying is the con- just as much as those who are hoping and trusting in Christ can have confidence that they will be declared righteous before God, those who are opposed to God can as well, uh, should have uh, kind of the opposite of that confidence, that you will bear the judgment of God when he returns. Um, uh, but as we have seen so far, there's this, these gospel warnings, this gospel confidence. Uh, but over throughout this whole passage, what we see Paul emphasizing um, and going towards is this gospel freedom. Notice how he begins it in verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, remember in this... Prior to this, what Paul has been talking about is he's been talking about the law. He's been talking about it in, in uh, the nature of slavery or oppression. Remember us being uh, enslaved to the curse and the penalty of the law due to our sin and our rebellion against God. But what he's saying is Christ has set you free. You're no longer under that slavery. Also, he's saying I've, I'm, the gospel frees you up from that distorted picture of the law that these false teachers have been given. Um, but what we see in this passage, Paul is, is also showing us that we have, uh, again, emphasizing the freedom we have from the law. Remember what he says uh, in verse 3. I testified again to every man that accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. The opposite is true, though. If you are hoping and trusting in Christ, you've been set free from being obligated to keep the whole law. Christ has freed you up from having to keep the law. You're resting in what Jesus has done for you. But there can be some confusion in this because Paul is really um, 
uh, gone hard against the law, at least the way that these Judaizers have been teaching. Remember, they've been teaching something that's contrary to God's intention for the law. The law was never meant uh, as a, a means by which we could be saved or made right before God. It was always by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But here we see Paul is saying um, uh, we've been actually set free to obey the law. Think about this. Back uh, when transportation was mainly done by trains, uh, when there were wars that were going on, whether it was in the U.S. or other places, one of the key strategies that armies and militaries used would be to try to blow up uh, the train lines, whether it's the tracks or bridges or whatever. Uh, But notice, when this was happening, never once did anybody in these uh, strategic military uh, conferences come in when somebody presented, hey, you know what we should do? Is we should blow up the train tracks. Nobody ever said this. What are you talking about? Right now, the trains can only stay on the track. If you blow the track up, they're free. And these trains are going to be going everywhere. And we will not be able to contain them. And we will lose. No, why? What happens if a train gets taken off of the track? It's not free at all. In fact, it's disastrous for the train. It derails. It goes nowhere. Without the constraining uh, guidance of the track, a train is really not free to do what it's been created to do. And notice what Paul says here. It's for freedom Christ has set us free. Freedom to do what? Freedom to obey the law. Not because we have to or we're obligated to in order to earn favor before God, but because we get to. Notice uh, in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul is, notice th- this terminology that he uses but through love to serve one another. The same root word that he used later to to talk about slavery that the law puts us under. He's saying don't be enslaved to the law, but when you're set free, you're actually enslaving yourself to others. See, true freedom comes when we're using our lives uh, and our bodies and everything about us to live in the way that God intended and designed it. And how do we see Jesus, what he does when he enters into the world? It's through his love and his service that he gives himself on behalf of others. And Paul is saying, um, far from what marks the Christian life should be rebellion against the law, but through what Jesus has done, we have been set free to obey and follow the law. But notice what he says, what will happen in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, But notice what happens. What happens if we completely disregard God's good intentions that he gave us in the law? What happens if we disregard uh, loving and serving one another, caring for and demonstrating uh, and and serving them in the way that, that, that Jesus has served and loved us? Notice the result. What happens if you completely throw off the law? But in verse 15, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Uh, Paul says when you 
completely throw off the law and you don't view the law uh, as important part of the, the Christian life, um, it ends up disastrous. You destroy, you wreck, um, you corrupt one another. You see, the, uh, initially when Paul was talking about the law as, as being a, a, like a guardian that led us to Christ, that's the initial first use of the law that would uh, show us our sin and our need for Jesus. But after we've come to know Christ, the primary use of the law in the lives of a believer is this, to show us what it looks like to live free, to show us what it looks like to live humanity as God intended and designed it. Think about the, the Ten Commandments. We'll close with this. Think about a, a society or a community where every single one of the Ten Commandments was violated and nobody, uh, nobody followed and obeyed them. They completely disregarded God. Uh, they completely um, uh, worshipped other false things. Uh, they lie. They steal. They murder. There's no faithfulness in any marriages. They covet and uh, they oppress other people. What would a, a society be like that? Where you're free to do any and everything you would ever want to, want to do. It'd be disastrous. But on the other hand, think about a, a society and a community where everyone was freed up to obey those things. A community where everyone loved the Lord their God, who worshipped Him and Him alone. Uh, they, uh, they, they didn't just not kill people, but they sought to do whatever they could to see that their life would flourish and grow. They always spoke the truth. They never stole, but they were generous and gave. Not only were they, they faithful in their, their marriages, but their thoughts and their intentions and the way that they interacted with other people were always honest and done with integrity. They always told the truth and, and didn't want and covet what they didn't have, but they were content with everything that God gave them. What kind of community would that be like? That would be incredible. Would you ever want to move away from a community like that? Or would you want to be a part of it? You see, that was the picture that God gave the people of Israel. That if you would live out this type of relationship, humanity in this way, the nations, as they look at you, as you're hoping and trusting in me, as you're loving and serving one another, they will look and say, who is this God that would give such good rules? And who is this people that follow him, that they would want to be a part of that people? What God is telling us is that in Christ, you have been delivered and redeemed. You have been brought into this people. You have a relationship with this God. And instead of you having to bear the penalty and the curse and the, the, the righteous requirements of the law, Jesus has bared it for you as you look and hope and trust in Him. You aren't freed up to just rebel against these laws, but you're freed up to live life out underneath them in love and service for one another, for the glory of God, for the freedom and building up of everybody else. This is the good news. That we're not just saved from the law, but we're saved for and to the law, for the glory of Christ. That's why the psalmist would say that the, the law is like honey to my lips. It's sweet and it's good because there we find the good intentions of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. 
We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Uh, we thank you that it is in uh, Christ alone that these things and are, are true. Uh, we pray that we would hope in Him, that we would turn from our own uh, resting and our own performance, um, and that instead we would see uh, through the power of the Spirit as you're working uh, out in our hearts and our lives that we would be freed up to live righteously before you. Not because we have to, but because we get to through what Jesus has done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As he was on his way to his people, um, Christ was eating with his disciples.